Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with author and engineer Catherine Collett. Catherine's debut novel is The Helpline, a comedy about the strange world of local politics. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I speak with an Australian writer and explore their books, writing, and their literary culture, broadcasting Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Now, the Great Conversations podcast lets me enlarge that discussion and get behind the scenes of the book, explore the issues that it's addressing in our world. Before we dive into the helpline, I want you to help me share great Australian writing with the world. If you're enjoying the Great Conversations podcast, can I ask you to share it with two friends? Maybe it's a podcast lover. Maybe it's a book lover. When you share it with them, you're increasing the circle of people that love Australian writing. You're going to have new friends to discover and talk books with. Now, the helpline introduces us to Germaine Johnson. She's great with numbers. People, however, that's another matter. When Germaine finds herself out of work, the last thing she expected was to end up working the Senior Citizens Helpline. But the mayor's just given her a special project, and her hero, a disgraced Sudoku champion, has taken a particular interest in her work. How bad can it be? Join me as we discover the weird world of local politics in the helpline. I am very fortunate I am joined in the studio today by Catherine Collette. Catherine is a writer and an environmental engineer, and today we're going to be discussing her debut novel, The Helpline. So, Catherine, welcome. It's a pleasure to, to welcome you here to 2SER. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I want, to get, I want to start. I want to give people the setup for The Helpline, because I think you really need to have to understand a little bit of, of Germaine, Germaine Johnson to, to know what's going on. Now, the helpline, it introduces us to Germaine Johnson at a low ebb in her life. Having lost her job as a senior mathematician, she's struggling for purpose. A job on the senior citizens helpline just was not on the cards. But Germaine is, she's quickly drawn into the machinations of local council (laughs) by the mayor and a disgraced Sudoku champ. And she finds herself at odds with the local seniors centre. Okay, so here we are. <laughs> Germaine does not sound like the person who's going to untangle this. Um, and look, the, the intricacies of this plot, they, they sort of set up, and for me, they signaled the heart of the helpline, and that was relationships. Germaine's a mathematician, and that's her approach to life. But you clearly, well, I found that you clearly wanted to signal and explore the limitations of sort of a formulaic idea about how we relate to each other. Yeah, it's true. Um, I guess I see Jermaine. So she's a mathematician. She would probably correct me and say she's a senior mathematician. <laughs> um, but not a statistician or an actuary. No. Um, so she, I guess she's someone who at the start of the book is very ambitious and very alone. And then through the course of the novel becomes less ambitious and less alone. So it is a book about social connection. Um, you know, I suppose on the blurb, or the way that I describe Jermaine is she's great with numbers, she's not great with people. Mm. So having her forced into a situation on a helpline where she has to help people, um, you know, she's pretty unsuited to that kind of a job. Yeah, I'm interested in the word you use there, ambitious. At the beginning, she's ambitious, but she becomes less so. Um, and that strikes me as, as an interesting take. Now, it's your book. You can have whatever take <laughs> you want. But there is certainly something about the 
the experiences Jermaine goes through where she has to take on different ambitions, I found. And in fact, the reason she's avoided them so far is is almost the ambition was too large for her. She was afraid, in that, fact. Yeah, I think I th- uh, that saying, big fish in a small pond, is something I think of when I think of Jermaine. Only Jermaine is... Uh, you know, she has this compulsion to be the best, but the reality is she's not very good. So she's more like a medium-sized fish that is just searching for a puddle so that, you know, that's kind of her best-case scenario, really, in life. And so she lands in council. Yep. She's working for the Senior Citizens Helpline. There's going to be a lot of readers who are not familiar with the idea that there might be a senior citizen's helpline. In fact, I, I don't know. You could have made this up. This could be a fictional <laughs> construct. It, it resonates. It sounds like it's, it's right. But um, in, in this position, Jermaine's perspective, in fact, her perspective on life, it's singular. She, she has a way of looking at things. And I got the impression, highly unreliable. I'll, I might unpack that a little yeah, bit more true. later. Um, what was it like to walk a mile in her shoes? I, Jermaine is one of those characters that was very easy to write in the sense that I felt like I knew her and I really, so the book started out life as a short story and evolved to become a novel and that was largely because I enjoyed writing Jermaine, like putting her in weird situations and, and knowing how she would behave. Some of the compulsion for the book, I had worked on a government helpline myself Um it was uh, like industrial relations department. Uh, so basically people called up and asked questions about the terms and conditions of their employment. So you'd get like a truck driver saying, I drive a B-double truck. I've been working for 12 hours. How much should I be getting paid? What overtime? How many breaks should I get? All of that sort of stuff. And it was really, really detailed and really involved. And you had to ask lots of questions. And it took like each call took a really long time. Uh, the first week that I started, there's about 200 people in the call center. I distinguished myself by answering the most calls of everyone. And there was a really big fuss made about this. Like the managers were all going on and on about it. And I was thinking, they think I'm amazing. Like they think I've done a really, really good job. You blew the numbers, didn't you? Yeah, totally, totally. Mm. But it wasn't until my team leader was like, I think we need to give you some more training that I realized they were not thinking I was amazing. They were thinking I was terrible because if the newest person is coming in and, and doing something that's very involved the quickest, that's a problem. They're probably not doing it right. But I always love that idea of someone, like that period of not knowing, someone, you know, thinking they're doing something amazingly and ev- like literally everybody else in the room going, this person is terrible at this. And that was sort of the seed of Jermaine. Yeah, it it, it always struck me too that, her perspectives are complicated and she often does things that you wouldn't expect. I mean, I would expect her to be a sort of a by-the-numbers type person, follow the rules because the rules are there. But she very quickly kind of wants to get rid of the handbook because the handbook, well, it's not, it's not yeah, cross-referenced <laughs> adequately for her. Um, and so she's kind of like, I, I will come up with a better way to do this. But she also, I said before, she's an unreliable narrator. She has a way of just misreading people perfectly. <laughs> people that might be a little bit nefarious, she she seems to think the best of. People who seem to um, have nothing but the best of thoughts about her, uh, she's suspicious of. Yeah, that's, that's true. Mm. I think, you know, she has, there's a mayor at the council that Jermaine is, um, 
I guess in some ways aspires to be like the mayor. And it is that thing of the outward trappings of office. You know, the mayor is, I suppose, is quite wealthy and and is the mayor. Um, And and I guess Jermaine aspires to that in the way that she clutches to being a senior mathematician, which is better than being a normal mathematician. Yeah. It's it's really interesting, and I don't think I'm giving anything away here, because in the very first interaction between the mayor and... Interestingly, this is exactly where we're going. I, I want to ask more about the mayor, but in the very first interaction, you can see the fact that Jermaine doesn't get what the mayor is really like is exactly the reason she will never be anything like yeah, the mayor. Yeah, that's right. Mm. That's true. She's she's uh, yeah. She wants those things, but I suppose at the end, she doesn't really want those. You know, she's not willing to compromise herself to the point of. That would be necessary to get ahead to uh, get for, those things. For whatever reason, she doesn't have the ability to manipulate people like that. No, she mm. doesn't. She's pretty. She can be quite binary in the way that she thinks about the world and, yeah. and quite straightforward. So now we're talking about Verity Firth, the mayor, <laughs> and through the mayor, um, and your your you sort of have this commentary on unscrupulous politics emerging. Um, <laughs> You may not have intended this to be timely, but I feel like you've kind of tapped into a mouldering zeitgeist in Australia <laughs> at the moment. Um, so we're just talking about the local golf club versus the senior centre in the helpline, but I wondered, do you have any thoughts on the idea of personality pro- uh, politics and the idea of serving mm. the public good? Was there anything um, you wanted well, us to take think, from it? I mean, I do think the theme of corruption is a theme in the book and ambition. And it is a humorous novel, like it's a mm. comedic novel. And I think partly the reason that that works is because the stakes seem low. So it, because it is set around a senior centre and a golf club and, and yes, people are invested in those things, but, you know, in relative terms, they are quite small. And I think that's why humour can work in that situation. But yeah, it's a different ball game when it's Donald Trump, you, you know, in, who has sort of the United States that he's, yeah, that's a or, far more troubling situation, or, or even or even closer to home. I mean, I was I was reading this as we were waking up every morning and asking ourselves, "Who is the PM today?" Mm. And you're right. When when the stakes seem small, we say things to ourselves like, "Well, it matters, but it's not it's not the end of the world." But you very much there's there's an arc to Verity's character where we learn that you know the rot sets in early. But it doesn't stop people necessarily, you know, wanting to move on, move higher up. And and I think, you know, it is a book that essentially has a, ha- a happy, you know, it's mm. a happy ending kind of a book. But, you know, I think in – I remember being taught about endings in, in a creative writing course at RMIT. And even for a happy ending, you need a bit of bad. And for a, you know, for a sad ending, you need a bit of hope. And I think, you know, without giving too much away – the people don't necessarily who do the wrong thing don't necessarily pay the price for doing the wrong you know they don't necessarily get ahead but they're also not which I think is sometimes true in the world and I don't want to take anything away from the comedic value but I think fans of the helpline are now asking themselves should we be checking on senior citizen centres in Peter (laughs) Dutton's electorate now you've You've already kind of answered this question. You mentioned the helpline that you, you've worked on yourself, and I wondered because you're not a mathematician, but you are an engineer, and whether any uh, you'd gleaned any insights in working <laughs> in these large organisations because the the cast of characters that Jermaine is 
is thrust upon or feels a thrust upon her, really, uh, so much of this novel. Did you glean any insights into the, the personalities and bureaucracies that helped you craft the helpline? It feels... I, I mean, I have basically in my professional career worked in government, uh, and it feels very government, the cast of characters in the helpline. Um, but uh, I guess the the concept for the story came out of... I work as an engineer. I work in sewerage planning. Uh, but for a while I got a job working in a council, and I worked with a woman who looked after senior citizens' mm-hmm. centres. Uh, and it was through her that I met pre- the president of this local senior citizens club, who was just you know a bit of a nightmare, mm. um, a really problematic sort of a person. Um, I, I'm losing the question. I'm just thinking, um, what is it about these spaces? Because I remember my mum uh, and dad they loved they loved like yes minister, yes prime minister. Everybody loves the office. We just fight about whether yeah. the British or the American version is. But these spaces, when you walk into them, do not seem like the side of drama, but they they are. Yeah. Okay. So I think. The beauty of the office as a space is it brings you in contact with people that you won't necessarily encounter. Mm. And that's probably particularly so in a, in a council setting where you have, uh, people from really different professional backgrounds working together. There's a plot in their helpline that relates to, um, biscuits, basically. And I had worked in a council. The first week that I was there, they, uh, there had been pretty major cuts to rates and things. So uh, healthcare services, aged care, lots and lots of services were cut. And there was a bit of grumbling internally about that. But uh, when the cuts extended to the catering budget and the biscuits were removed from the communal tea room, there was outrage. Um, So I think it comes back to those... It is the small things that affect us in life that I think sometimes we're the most passionate about and a lot of those bigger things go unchecked. So what affects you in your day-to-day is the politics over, you know, the food thief in the fridge. You know, that's something that gets people... you clearly had your name written on it. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And you can see a workplace can be really antagonistic if there's heaps of, you know, everyone is labelling their food and and claiming to have licked the butter or, you you know, all of this sort of stuff. It says a lot about a workplace, you know. Dear listener, you you just know that that (laughs) Catherine's got a story there. I'm not sure if I should ask. I want to keep going with this this psychology of the workplace because, you know, Jermaine, she suffers for her analytical outlook on the world and and no more so than from the the barbs that she gets from her mother but i i thought there was something almost shakespearean about each <laughs> of the cast they each see, sort of seem to have it's dramatic to say a fatal flaw but i've already said shakespearean a fatal <laughs> flaw that they ignore to their personal detriment these are the characters that we love as well as the characters that we hate i wonder then do you, do you think we we kind of we can pop psychologize everyone else so much better than ourselves I'd say that's true. Like, I think if you've spoken to people that have done therapy and if, you know, they've gone on a long journey with that and, and you know, can say, oh, well, this is, you know, this is my fundamental issue or, you know, I'm like this, like this is sort of aspects of my personality. It is in no way surprising to the listener generally. I think actually we get a really good sense of people off the bat but whether or not people themselves are as self-aware. Mm. Um, but some of those, like there are really fun characters to write. Sharon is Jermaine's mum in the helpline and ever. And some of the characters that 
I can really see and feel are exactly like that. Like you can feel the thing about them that is sort of the most irritating, but they can't see it whatsoever. Like Mm. it just seems the most obvious feature of their personality, but they're like walking around with a hat on and have no consciousness of that. Sharon, for example, I mean, she is, she is a dyed in the wool lefty. Um, She's very involved in things. And I, I got the sense she almost thinks that, her her barbs will help Jermaine. They will they will be the thing that pulls her out of her situation and and makes her realise. And and we have these harrowing moments. And I want to come to this where Jermaine is is thinking, well, I just I I'm still holding on to this one time I thought I had your approval. And I mean, this is meant to be a comedy, but Jermaine's character arc had for me at least these incredibly somber scenes as she struggles to come to grips with this new way of thinking about the world. She moves from the ambition you described early, earlier to what is a different kind of ambition. She can also be really tough on people, perhaps without realising it. Were you ever uh, unsure of where Jermaine might end up? You mentioned before happy endings need a little bit of sad and vice versa. Yeah, I think I always knew where she would end up. Um, but I always wanted, like I wanted that to be a struggle. I didn't want that to be... Because it's like the enjoyment is in the struggle, the feeling mm. of not knowing. Um, and I, I knew that I wanted her to end up connected to people. Um, I didn't know what that would look like, whether she would have a relationship with, with Jack, she, you know, or whether she would just have friendships or, you know, what that would look like. But I wanted her to be – I wanted sort of the lesson for her to learn to be – to value people over that kind of numeric side. Yeah. Did you – did you feel like she really needed to go through something to appreciate that, though? There was never something she was just going to find the solution via the many, many graphs. Yeah. They're quite lovely. But if you, if you are reading this book at the moment, you need to look at the graphs and then go back and look at them again because they're, they're sort of a gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> the Yeah, I wanted – I think she is – I think we do learn through those kinds of situations. Like, I think she had to be – go through that sort of fish out of water – a person forced to work with other people to realise the value of relationships with other people. Because she sort of does have a protective coding up. Um, you know, she's probably, A, not good with people, and B, um, you know, feels hurt by people, I suppose, mm. historically. So it's it's a protection as well. Do you have a sense that Germaine is someone that the reader will empathise with or, or sympathise for? Oh... I'm not sure I see this. I know the distinction fully. I was wondering, sorry, I was just checking my phone. I thought it was <laughs> vibrating. Um, do you have a feeling that Germaine is someone that, that the reader will be looking at and saying, oh, I see those aspects in me? Yeah. Or are you thinking that, I, I mean, as I said, I, I found some moments really quite heartbreaking for her. And I wasn't sure, I, 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 that's maybe not my situation, but I do yeah. feel terrible that you're going through it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think I think so. Like I I guess a big theme for me and now I'm working on a second novel is that theme of loneliness and social connection mm. and the way that the world moves away from you, you know, I think we all agree that the the best things in life are those, you know, people and the relationships we have. Yet we have iPhones and and technological and other structures that really move us away from mm. you know, even just that that 
individualization of things through the naming of the iPhone as the iPhone, the My Schools website as the My Schools. Like we're really moving away from community mm. style living in a lot of ways. It's much more about the individual. Yeah. This is one of those weird moments that sometimes happens in an interview where I'm like, are you... Can you you see my next question? (laughs) Um, One thing that I did, I found central to the narrative was Jermaine's, she had this stated desire when she starts at the helpline to accumulate the data that's going to allow her to automate the helpline. Mm -hmm. She wants wants to turn it into a touch tone (laughs) and she's convinced that efficiency and a good algorithm have the answers to the vagaries of human problems. It's an idea that we see writ large, and this is why I thought you were cribbing off my notes here. It's an idea we see writ large in this gamification of our world and the prevalence of this kind of yeah. there's an app for that culture. What, what are your thoughts on digital convenience? I think, I think everything has a place. I guess I, when I worked at a council, I worked in a community development type, type team and um, the team next to us manned helpline type mm. activities like the Senior Citizens Helpline. So organising help for older people and all of those sorts of things. And so much of it really was just about social contact for people. And you realise how, yeah, it, it is such a simple thing, but how important that is. Um, yeah, and it becomes really visible in a situation, you know, as people age and... and you know, partners die and kids grow up and move away and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. There's this wonderful juxtaposition that I found you um, you created and it only really just clarified for me then where we have, uh, it's Jack who's calling up because he needs to get his pension sorted and Jermaine is just, ah, oh, whatever. And she ends up having to sit down with some 50 odd pages of paperwork. <laughs> that is a situation where if Jack had the tools and the savvy to do it, gosh, doing it through an app would be so much easier yeah. for him. And yep. then Celia calling the helpline. And at first where we don't know, we know Celia as the firebrand at the seniors center who is causing all the trouble for the golf club. And she is the voice on the end of the line wanting to talk about her the loss of her husband and in these two callers we see both sides we see how we see the tragedy mm-hmm. of automate automating the helpline and what celia would have lost but also what jack might have gained if it was just a little bit more transparent for him yeah true mm. true that's true mm. um yeah i guess i was always just quite taken with that um you know Jermaine's fixation on efficiency and and governments often or, you know, different people's fixation on efficiency when efficiency is totally not the purpose of something at its core and and there's no point trying to make it efficient. Mm. I'm speaking with Catherine Collet and we are discussing her debut novel, The Helpline. We have, it's a comedy, but you might be forgiven because a lot of my questions have delved (laughs) into the serious side of things and um, it is important that we we do end on a on a big note and i hope i haven't left the most serious to last because <laughs> we've been ignoring the elephant in the in the room um Jermaine is obsessed with Sudoku and she runs into <laughs> incognito her disgraced hero who was a former Sudoku champion i remember puzzling fondly over Sudoku at uni why though why Sudoku what what ah uh, i just i quite like Sudoku <laughs> Sudoku's really hard and i just i also like those you know Worlds where people are obsessed about really obscure, obscure things. And the idea of competitive Sudoku, 
I just find amusing. <laughs> I I could have I could have googled this, but it's more fun to ask. Um, there's there's a whole mythology around the Sudoku Championships, and <laughs> and Jermaine's a bit of a stan for um for the whole situation. Um, does it really exist? Is, is this there, a- there is competitive Sudoku. There's a World Puzzle Federation that does do um, competitive Sudoku. And a few years ago, uh, an Australian guy, I think he was a cricketer, uh, put together, just basically self-nominated an Australian team uh, to represent. So there was about four of them. I think they went to India and competed for the nation. I think they were aspiring sportsmen that really hadn't made the grade as sportsmen. So went and represented Australia and made like cricket style jackets to wear over there and sort of fulfill their fantasies of representing their nation. How'd they do? And they did appallingly. Like the, they could barely even, they didn't really even understand the concept of Sudoku, let alone, you know, stand up against the but, world champions. But we lionise their go-getem attitude. That is, the most, <laughs> that is the most Australian thing ever. <laughs> Where do we go from yeah, here? Yeah, exactly. I am speaking with Catherine Collett. We are discussing the helpline. It is a wonderful <laughs> exploration of an individual, but also also relationships, um, unless you work in council and then you might just think it's vaguely libelous. And <laughs> all, all angry uh, Sudoku fans can tweet us at Final Draft 2 SER. <laughs> Catherine, I want to thank you so much for coming oh, in. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. That's it for this great conversation with Catherine Collett. Catherine's debut novel, The Helpline, is out now through text publishing. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at 2SER's Broadway Studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. If you're enjoying Great Conversations from Final Draft, hit subscribe in iTunes or wherever you're catching your podcasts. Uh, and look, if you re- do so, you receive a new podcast episode. It's delivered straight to your phone every week, including all the bonus material that I periodically release. Don't forget to share this podcast with two book-loving friends. And if you're enjoying it, please rate us. It really helps people discover Australian literature from wherever they are. If you want to keep up with the latest books, writing and literary culture, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram and on Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. My name is Andrew Popel and I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. I'll see you then.